Does this include a gratuity? Yes, sir. Call me by my dream name. And she tried to sit on my lap while I was standing up. Mommy. Mommy, why does that girl keep telling me I shouldn't go there? I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Semi-Cinematic Podcast. My name is Hunter. My name is John. My name is Max. All right, last week we talked about a movie from 1990, and we're going to stay in 1990 again this week for our main review. We're going to talk about... Now, I, I'm going to need... I might need some help here. I'm going to go Nietzsche Keen. Does like that, that look right? Yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty good. Nietzsche sounds good. Nietzsche. Nietzsche Keen's... The Juniper Tree. But of course, we're going to start with what we've been watching recently. And uh, John, let's go ahead and uh, get started with you. Well, if you listened last week, you know Hunter's bleak of the week pick was Toys Are Not For Children from 1972. And I watched it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's... We can spoil this. I will say, I'm probably not going to watch it. So, I I don't mind if you want to. I know what happens. So yeah, let's let, yeah. we can spoil it for sure. Um, this is one of those movies where the acting isn't great. Um, and it, it kind of messes it up for me a little bit. But then there's this actually this really cool thing. I love when a movie's not super great production wise but they do something interesting or cool that kind of draws you back in um this director i think this was his only film stanley uh Braslov, Braslov, Braslov. i guess he had one one other one in it, and i think it's um it's why <laughs> sounds wild the other one's called two girls for a madman about two girls studying to be ballet dancers are chosen by a crazed sex fiend to be their next victims. Yikes. That is, uh... <laughs> it's kind of, it definitely has a theme, this uh, director. Um, but he does a really good job, I think, of intersplicing things that are happening in the present day of the film with stuff happening when the main girl is growing up and, like, interactions she has with her parents and how they've emotionally stunted her as an adult. And almost taking like exact movements that the parents make and then putting them in present day with other people she encounters and then her mimicking her responses to these actions as either her father or her mother. Um, that was pretty well done and effective. Uh, the movie's wild. Uh, it's just it's, it's very dark. And it kind of goes where I thought it would go. <laughs> it 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 definitely does go it's over there. Just, it's really well, something. I wouldn't say that it's um gratuitous in its content. Like it's not like a bunch of nudity or whatever, but it's just real sleazy <laughs> all the way around. Yeah. Honestly, one of the like more pleasant characters is 
this hooker that the main character goes to live with in New York, in New York that she befriends um, at the toy store while she's working there. But uh, she winds up being a creep in the end, too. So mm. it's a pretty negative look at anyone over 25. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's true. The guy that she marries actually isn't that bad. I thought he'd be more, based on the tone of this film, probably be more abusive or like just, uh, I don't know, just more violent and like not understanding and just cruel, I guess. And he really isn't that bad. Um, he's frustrated. And he, uh, he goes out with other women because she doesn't want to have, is afraid of having sex or has all these issues, daddy issues. It's a whole thing. Uh, I can't say I'd recommend it, but I can't say <laughs> watch it. <laughs> and I, I <laughs> out of five, um, cause I really, I really did appreciate that, um, past to present move. I thought that like really kind of showed what the woman was going through in some ways. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of what overacting. A couple times in a row now, we've had like a really overbearing mom, and like it's just a little too much for me. But um, mm. it's too much, and it's too much in real life too. Absolutely. <laughs> um, other than that, I uh, only watched one other thing, which I really enjoyed. I watched from 1977, uh, opening night, directed by John Cassavetes, and I'll just read the synopsis on this one. Actress Myrtle Gordon, played by um, Gina Rowlands, who is so good, is a functioning alcoholic actress who is a few days from opening night of her latest play concerning a woman distraught about aging. One night, a car kills one of Myrtle's fans who is chasing the limousine in an attempt to get the star's attention. Myrtle internalizes the accident and goes on a spiritual quest but fails to find the answer she is after. As opening night inches closer and closer, Fragile Myrtle must find a way to make her show go on. So basically, Gina Rowan's character is going through a midlife crisis as this play is being is getting ready for um, opening night. They do have some performances, I think, in New Haven, Connecticut. That's where most of the Broadway plays go to kind of get ready. And the fact that this play is mostly centered on the main character is a woman who is struggling with her age as well. That and um, this this fan of hers dying, like trying to get her attention. It all just just causes Gina Rollins to like have this uh, kind of a cri- midlife crisis or just like a breakdown while getting ready for this play. And there's everyone in the production has like a lot writing on this and her performance she's a, she's a very big star i don't know it's, it's really interesting the performances are really good um it, there's some really good tension towards the end where you're not even sure if the show is going to happen or if they're gonna have to cancel everything cassavetes puts gina rollins through some really demanding roles but she does a great job i i, I don't know he gets so much out of her she just really commits and I guess she's drunk a lot of the time in this, in this, both for her character. She likes to get, like, do, like, that acting where, you know, she wants to, like, be the character herself. But she's also drinking because she's all these other things going on. And she's just so stressed and doesn't know what to do. And there's just a lot coming in on her at once. But uh, so it doesn't sound like a very fun film, but uh, 
some good quality drama, really good performances, good writing. Um, I enjoyed it. It's in the top 1K. It's a little long at two hours, 24 minutes, but if you have like a good afternoon to see people stressed out fighting with each other, it's a, it's a good way to go. <laughs> and that's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched a Cassavetes movie in a long time, but I used to love, yeah. love those movies. Yeah, I like I like them a lot too. Pretty much all of them. They're kind of have a similar style to them, and there's just a lot of good, almost improvised dialogue that I really enjoy. Like it's something where if I miss a word or two, I'll go back and put the subtitles on just to catch what was said, like in passing, because it's interesting. Yeah, I used to love a woman under under the influence, and um, and many in Moskowitz. I used to love that movie. I haven't seen that in years though. Yeah, um, Peter Falk and Seymour Castle make about a two-second cameo each. They're just like in the crowd at the uh, opening night performance, but it's just cool to see them on screen for a second. Cool, Thanks. Max. Uh, what have you been watching? Well, I think as previously mentioned, I, I had a bit of a, a milestone on the horizon. Um, you know, film number eight hundred on Letterboxd, and you know, again, it is kind of interesting how something totally inconsequential that no one is going to care about could cause me so much stress <laughs> of what is going to be film 800. The big 800. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, again, no one is going to know or care, but for whatever reason, I was in a panic. But I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I went with Inside Lewin Davis from 2013, directed by the Coen brothers. I, I don't know. I, I, I like their movies in general, um, and I had never seen this one before. I, I don't know why. Uh, but I, I had a blast with this. I think all the, I don't even know how you would describe it. And I, I think too, like I, I liked it cause I don't know if it's just like from like what I had thought I had heard, but I, I was under the assumption that it was kind of like the main character played by Oscar Isaac kind of dipping in and out of the lives of like famous sixties folk musicians. And it's I don't know it wasn't that at all and 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 all of the um, uh, supporting casts, which is like a you know a crazy talented cast. You've got Adam Driver, Justin Timberlake. Um, I really like John Goodman's character. Uh, have you guys seen this movie? I love this movie. I it's a five out of five for me, and in my top one fifty, really thoroughly loved it. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I don't I don't love it. I, I like it though. So. <laughs> uh, three and a half. But this is twenty seventeen though. You're 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 three and a half, so who knows you know if you could bump up on a rewatch. But uh, the road trip uh, to Chicago with John Goodman, that's like a memorable part for me, for sure. Yeah, it's and I like I mean, admittedly, like I thought that the ending was gonna like just go much darker and it and it doesn't and then it just kind of ends and it's like and you know it's a it's a circular you're kind of you know back where you started from and i don't know yeah so that was a that was a that was a great uh, 800 i think i gave it yeah four and a half so that was that one and then the other movie speaking of um overbearing mothers and traumatic childhoods i watched 2017's i Tanya. Um, directed by Craig Gillespie, starring uh, Margot Robbie and uh, Sebastian Stan, the, the always incredible um, Allison Janney, 
as the as the overbearing mother. And this one, I mean, I don't know. It was, um, it was well done, but I don't know. Like, and I get why. I guess I understand why they made it of like Tanya Harding being such an odd. I don't know. She's not a good person, but she's not a bad person either. And maybe that's why she makes for a compelling. However many years it's been now since her, you know, she's you know last kind of been relevant. Yeah, because all this, all all these things you know have happened now. You know, thirty something years ago, but we keep wanting to like revisit the story because I think she's had a couple documentaries, you know, solely focused on her, and then obviously this movie now. And yeah, I I liked it. It was a good watch. I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's, but anyway, no, yeah, I've, those I've are, never seen it. It's pretty wild. It's really fun and kind of like in your face. I thought it, I, I really enjoyed it as well. I thought it was pretty yeah. good. And I, I like I like how they do like the present day, but still using the actors and setting her up as you know kind of an unreliable narrator. And yeah. but really all the characters. Um, and I, I like how they you know they they you're just not sure you know if they they play out scenes and then it cuts to the to the actor playing the modern day character and they say oh that didn't happen or you know and so i don't know it it just was a very unique watch so nice to kind of mix it up but then uh yeah those are those are my two yeah i've got a uh, a few i watched um cult 38 special squad and this is a uh a movie directed by Massimo Delamano, which is probably the name I've said the most in this <laughs> uh, podcast short history. Um, but this is not a top tier uh, Delamano. It's it's entertaining. It's got some solid action, but it uh, definitely didn't didn't shake me like his uh, his masterpieces do. Um, it is streaming on the Arrow Channel, and it, it's probably worth checking out. There's some. There's a couple pretty fun. Um, action scenes in it and then so after watching the reflecting skin and the juniper tree i was really craving some cheap b-movie thrills <laughs> so i watched edward murphy's raw force this is from 1982 and it is cheap uh, saying it has thrills is a stretch but it does have its moments i um there's one really <laughs> good fight scene there's some cannibalism, always mm-hmm. fun. There are um, some zombies that know kung fu, which I appreciate. Um, overall, <laughs> I, I did enjoy it. It's streaming on Tubi. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome has released it on Blu-ray, and it is stream-worthy, but I, I will not be buying this on Blu-ray, that's for sure. <laughs> and last, and certainly most... I watched The Exorcist 2, one yeah. of John's uh, oh, yeah. all-time favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, I'm, I'm on John, Team John. I'm not on Team Consensus here. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is so um, bad. <laughs> Stick to the copo. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought, I mean, sure, it, it's not... I think if I had seen The Exorcist in theaters and then been looking forward to seeing The Exorcist 2 and it comes out and that's and then 
this is what I saw. Maybe when it was released, I would have been disappointed. But I think it's pretty fun. I had a few laughs. And there's one moment where, well, anytime locusts are on screen, it's amazing. (laughs) There's one scene with a lot of locusts and James Earl Jones voiceover. And they need to remake Planet Earth and swap uh, whoever that British Joker is with James Earl Jones. He would be perfect for planet for those Planet Earth documentaries. He has a great voice, that's for sure. Isn't that David Attenborough? Um, yeah, it is David Attenborough. He's no J.E.J. <laughs> no, that that is true. But no, I did enjoy it. I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty entertaining, and and some of it, like John, you were saying, some of the shots. I mean, I like John Borman anyways, but some yeah. of his camera work and the direction is is pretty awesome. That locust behind the locust thing is pretty wild, right? Where you're like following it. Oh, it's really wild. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's a good time. I'm uh, definitely glad I caught up with it before it leaves HBO Max, which is, you said it's leaving this month, right? Yeah, the 31st. All right, Max, you got to watch this. Yeah, Max, we got enough. <laughs> time, time's running out. Hey, Max, have you ever seen The Exorcist? No. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is a. That's an episode Are you of scared? itself. Are you scared? Be honest. <laughs> it's, it's I was scared. one of those, like, that, like, I saw images of that movie when I was a child. And so it just, like, imprinted of, like, just pure terror. And, like, and then I don't know if anyone is, if you guys remember this. Jenny doesn't because she's normal. But there was a game way back in the Internet like like infancy, uh, like, like I'm talking like AIM, like AO, AO instant messenger days, and there was like this like flash game where it was like like there was like a, like a maze on the on the screen and you trace your finger through the maze like with your mouth or your, with your mouse I mean, and it gets harder and harder and you're focusing and you, your face is getting closer and closer to the screen, and then a few of these like levels in it just her um linda blair's face just screams at you and pops up and and so i did this about midnight and between the two of those things of seeing out as a kid and then that stupid game but it's time i i think i need to i think i need to add this to the to the to the diary i think it's on hbo max Let's see. I'll pull, so you I'll can pull do a it. double, double feature. Ooh. It's only two hours. That's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. HBO Max. Yeah. It's probably time. Now I don't say this often. I do say things are in my top three thousand pretty often, but <laughs> Exorcist I'm going to say is top thirty material Ooh. for me. Way up there. Wow. Absolutely love it. Billy Friedkin. He made some. Some real classics in the seventies. That it is true. So I only well, saw um, for the first time. I can't promise it'll happen this month. Oh well, then you're too late. No, but, but then I'm too late. <laughs> oh, man, what a what a rock and a hard place. <laughs> Oof. I think I think that they're they're probably for rent though on Amazon and stuff. Yeah, but that's no. I don't want to pay to get scared. You know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> We'll sneak it in. I'll, 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 where there's a will, there's a way, you know? Yeah. Doesn't sound like the will's too strong, but we'll see what happens. 
<laughs> we'll be interested whenever you decide to watch it as to what you thought. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And take your time. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah. this month. Don't want to force I'm sure you can always, you, you can cough up three bucks. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into our main review, which is uh, The Juniper Tree. And it was shot in 1986, but it released in 1990, and it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. And it was based on a, uh, a Grimm's fairy tale of the same name. The story was adapted by this. We did decide on Nietzsche, Keen, right? Yes, I think that sounds really good. I don't know if that's correct, but maybe it's a little yeah. announcement. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> and of course, she also directed the movie, and this was her debut. She had directed a couple of shorts before then. Randy Sellers was the DP on this movie, and he doesn't have any other notable um, DP credits. Uh, but I think the photography is actually pretty amazing in this. Mm-hmm. Um, now he was a, he was a camera operator on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, so that's that's <laughs> that's pretty solid credit. Can't remember the uh, right. photography on Bill and Ted. I can't. It's not coming to mind whether it was good. Or not. <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm not sure I've ever even seen it. Oh no! Oh, at this point, at this point, I wouldn't bother. Or the sequels. I, I don't know. I disagree. I at one point, they're pretty you know, fun. One of them says, "Hey, royal ugly dudes," to like some, some royalty, right? <laughs> Is that a line? Probably. It's been a minute. Aren't it's been eight? a long time. There was like a, a newer one, right? A couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, so much. Maybe it's worth uh, watching the first one, but having watched the sequels, they're fun. But yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of movies out there. Yeah, I do love Keanu, but there's there's better better Keanu stuff out there. But this was also this was the first movie that Bjork shot. But I think she was in a TV movie that was released before this came out. And I'm actually this is the only Bjork performance I've seen. I've never seen a. Uh, Dancer in the Dark. This is my first time seeing her, and I th- I uh, it was nice to see her there and to hear her sing too. Mm-hmm. Love her voice. But uh, here is the synopsis from Letterboxd: Margaret and her older sister Katla flee for safety after their mother is burned to death for witchcraft. Finding shelter with Johan and his resentful young son Jonas, the sisters help form an impromptu family unit that's soon strained by Katla's burgeoning sorcery. All right, now Max, you may not want this spot, but you are going to go first. What did you think? <laughs> well, I'm sure the two of you will have more to say. Um, <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, that's Movies are fun because mm-hmm. you can watch one movie. You can watch a movie at the wrong time and it leaves an impact on that movie. And I feel like much like listening to like a certain genre of music when you're in the wrong mood. And obviously there's some songs that transcend mood and that's fine. This movie was not one of those things. And I thought that it was visually really interesting. I... I think like Hunter, like because this was shot on location in Iceland. Is that yeah, like- I'm pretty. Sh- I'm pretty sure it was. I'm not a hundred percent positive though. I'm I like percent like sure. <laughs> yeah, 
I feel like it was. Oh, maybe just some. Um, but regardless, like, like you know, visually it was really interesting. I, and I, I, I have you know these past few years like a new appreciation for black and white. I think there's just some things that it does to a movie that you know if it were shot in color. I don't know. Would just take away from some from as, some some aspects of it and and some some performances and and little nuances. And I think you know this this is certainly one of those movies that that benefits from that. But the story was interesting. It wasn't hard to follow, but I don't know. There's sometimes we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I liked it. Overall, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, again. It's it's always like I think it's always like it's always good to like challenge yourself and like watch something that you maybe wouldn't pick um, on your own volition. But I kind of want to rewatch this one and like take my time with it to just you know I don't know let it kind of marinate a little bit more. Yeah, I would also want to rewatch this. Now, I I did like I actually really liked it. I thought it looked amazing. I, I do think it's a movie. That I like. I don't have a lot to say about it. Um, I, I know, like at first, I was very unsure about how I felt about the performances, but then they, towards the end, they really grew on me. Especially Katla. I, I thought her character was awesome, mm-hmm. and it turned like even though it didn't get gruesome, uh, it, it did kind of. There is like a kind of a horrific scene later on in the movie that I thought was pretty effective. Mm-hmm. I thought that the style was like pretty perfect for the story, and I thought the location was amazing. And it's kind of a good—I mean, I haven't seen this kind of approach for a for a fairy tale before, and so I did really like—I I really liked it. I thought you know, kind of like a minimalistic approach to what could be done as more of a fantasy. I have, I haven't read read the Grimm's uh, fairy tale. So I don't know if there can be like a more fan, fantastical, I guess, approach to this, but I really like the way it was done. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I was unsure of, and I'm a little nervous to say this because I, you know, like I've said, I hate sounding like an idiot, <laughs> but the dead child at the beginning, like lying face down in the creek with the hands tied behind their back. Mm-hmm. Was it said or implied at all that Kotla did that? That like that she killed the kid? I just mm. I didn't know what the connection was there. That wasn't the mom, right? No, because she's burned. Yeah, she was burned. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I kind of and she had a different part. She had different color hair than the mom too. Didn't the yeah? Didn't they have blonde hair? The person that was in the creek or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and there may not be an answer, but you know, overall, I did, I did like the uh, the movie. John, what did, what did you think? Well, it kind of feels to me like you're in a good film school in Iceland, and the uh, the teacher says, "I want you to film something that looks like an Ingmar Ingmar Bergman film and is attached to a fairy tale." That's what it feels like to me. It feels like those were the two things they were going for. And like, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's very, I think it's a little 
derivative, honestly. Gotcha. But also, I was. Um, it's funny, Max said what he said um, when he started his review because I was very much in a. Let me tear down these movies I'm watching this week for some reason. I don't know. I guess I was in a little bit of a slump with what I was watching, and I was like looking for flaws at this point. So I get like a lesser Bergman feel from the. I think it is shot well. And it's like, it has the air to me of like a really good student film. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of complex things going on here. It's it's pretty straightforward as far as how it's, how it looks, how it's presented um, and the performances. I had some issues with them in the beginning as well. I, I also, I just think most of the characters, except for Bjork's character, aren't particularly likable. They're just kind of, the kid is it's a kid but like the other characters are just kind of selfish and not altogether pleasant the dad and the sister older sister i do like the scenes and i really like the score um of the mother when the mother appears and i love her performance even though she doesn't say anything i think her presence on screen i think those are the most effective parts of the film for me I do think Bjork's character is likable and she has this like purity about her. She ha- is dealing with something, this, these visions and power she has that she can't really control and has no say in whether she has them or not. And is scared that, you know, bad things are going to happen to her because they happened to her mother um, for the same reasons. It's pretty bleak, I guess, you know, even just the black and white and the Icelandic, stark surroundings give it that and the opening poem is very bleak as well but i I do agree that the scene with the older sister and the and the young the son johan that's a very effective scene too i that one really i was like i had one of those moments where i say something out loud even though i'm by myself in my room in the middle of the night (laughs) so i always that um it's just a little bit I hate to say not enough going on because there's plenty quiet films that I enjoy. It's just it's just lacking a little something for me, a little something special. There is, I think there's a scene somewhere in there where there's some there's some actually some really technical camera work where they're kind of overlapping a couple different things, and because that was so rare that it was done in this film, I really appreciated that happened at all. Like it's kind of like. When you get so little of something, when you get a little bit, then you really appreciate it. Kind of like if you're kidnapped and they give you a snack, you're like, oh, you're so nice. You gave me <laughs> but where <laughs> 48 hours I've been on, on, in this cellar, you know, so. Um, so this movie gave you Stockholm Syndrome is what this you're saying. This is kind of a very similar feel to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like reflecting skin last week. Um, <laughs> like, I didn't like watching it, but I wasn't thrilled with it. It's kind of a in the middle of the road for me. But gotcha. I, also, I also like that you picked it because I might not have seen it otherwise. And I like also, like Max said, it's cool to watch different different kinds of films that you might not otherwise encounter. And just I don't know. Just I like I don't, they don't have to all be winners for me to enjoy the experience. Yeah, I did like it, and it's it's kind of not the kind of movie I'm I normally like. Like I like I would consider this to be like minimalist cinema. Like 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 directors. I'm trying to think who I could who is an example of that. Someone like who made Meek Meek's Cut Off, Kelly Reichardt, right? Yeah, I like her a lot. Yeah, 
like I think of her as being like kind of minimalist cinema as well, but I don't know, maybe and like her stuff doesn't usually work for me. But for some reason, maybe it is kind of like the fantasy or like the kind of the, you know, witchcraft element that kind of you know, drew me into the juniper tree. But yeah, it's not a, this is not a style I normally like, but I did. I don't know. It just, it just worked for me for some reason. I mean, this is not it, I'm not going to give this a five stars. I, I just I got to say that right now. But um. But no, I did. Uh, I I did enjoy it. I was I was definitely glad I watched it. But but uh, but yeah. I mean, that's it is. It's just a movie I don't have a lot to say about, though. Even though I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there isn't even. There's not a lot to pick apart, good or bad. And I'm like, I'm not going to give this like less than a three. I'm just. It's just not. You know, a favorite of mine. It's it's just it's it's just like a lot of it's just. There isn't a lot to comment on. It's just one of those films. And I think like there's something to be said too. Like I, I, I do and just like general, you know, viewing habits. Like I think especially nowadays, like there's so much pressure or hype attached to movies when you're going into something, you know, whether it's a newer release or, you know, part of a, a an ongoing trilogy or series or whatever so kind of you know going into something where you're you're pretty unattached and it's just a recommendation from a friend i don't know like there's something like having no pressure watching that of like am i gonna be disappointed by this am i gonna be frustrated by this you know but just like i just want to watch this to like watch it you know and and see what i can take away from it and 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 what is going to happen in in, in in these 78 minutes. I think that in and of itself was a nice, you know, shift. But yeah, like just, you know, I don't know, watching things without like, without expectations. Yeah, I love, I love that. Um, I'm getting more and more into, if possible, if it's a film like this where I hadn't really known much about it before, of not at all looking at what anyone has rated it so I can kind of watch it, think of my rating in my head, rate it, and then look at other people's thoughts so I'm not influenced. Or even with Exorcist 2, if I had seen all that hype, negative hype about it, it might not have, I might have been looking for ways that people were disliking it as opposed to just going in pure and innocent and enjoying it. You know, I think if you can avoid alt, alt, uh, outside influences on your experience, I think you'll get a lot more out of it good or bad it's just nice to see like what your uninfluenced opinion is before you delve into what everyone else thinks i think the time has come (laughs) i think that we're gonna rate this movie okay are you ready i was hoping for it yeah all right well max why don't you go first well as it's been established i am a very generous uh movie lover and so this was a it was a, this was a three point five star for me. Nice. Oh, so you liked it just as much as Reflecting Skin? I did. I, I, again, I know I just kind of <laughs> <laughs> took a nice dump on it, <laughs> but it wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't. It just kind of exists. It just it, it just kind of is a movie. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to knock it, you know, for that. 
It's like um, Brooks um, uh, review, like a fake review for Mel Brooks film. Like this film exists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, it's a, it's a film. So yeah. Yeah. 3.5. I'm going to stick with it. I think I gave reflecting skin a four initially. And then upon further reflection, reflecting on the reflecting skin, you peeled a layer uh, back. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, I, it, I don't know. It's not, which is a whole other conversation on the rating system and stars, and that can go as a, as a different episode. But three point five. Okay, excellent, John. I'm gonna give it a uh, three point two five locks of hair for which to use. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Now I, I am gonna give this a four. Because I did enjoy it, and yeah, I don't, I don't have to defend my rating. So no. I'm not going to say anything else about it. Thank you, thank you. It's just like me with uh, French Dispatch. <laughs> yeah, That's much less of a separation. We're kind of, you know, we're all within one star of each other. Yeah, the which it should, <laughs> it should be quickly said here to my other to my earlier point. I've like softened. On the French Dispatch, I haven't rewatched it, but I'm not as like like that was a, a bad movie. But it's because I went into that with such high expectations, and now like I would be curious. It'll probably be next year by the time I rewatch it. Um, but to revisit it without that pressure of what I would give it. So anyway, that's my quick little two cents on the French Dispatch. I'm glad it's growing on you. I. I wish I could say the same, but I hate you lying to my friends. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of another Wes Anderson film, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I saw it two different times with two different girls and got two different experiences. I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Natural with Robert Redford, but at one point he's dating, um, I think, Glenn Close, maybe. And she's really nice, and she's always wearing white in the baseball field stands, and he hits a lot of home runs. And then he dates some uh, blonde. I don't, it's not Kim Basinger, but a, maybe it is. It's a Kim Basinger type, and she's not nice. And she always wears black, and he like does not hit a lot of home runs. So the nice girl I watched Moonrise Kingdom with, I gave it a five out of five. But the not nice girl, I gave it like a two and a half or a three out of five. Same movie, like two weeks apart, mm. just mood and like being receptive to what was on screen. So it really can be whatever you're going through can really change your outlook on something. Yes, this is definitely true. And And also who who you're watching it with, like if you can get a sense for how, how much they're liking it, Mm -hmm. it can also change the way you feel about it too. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed how we all watched Licorice Pizza because some of our friends were laughing at certain parts, and like that got me more into it than I might have been just going by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes, like a scary movie, I'd rather watch it by myself so like I'm really, you know, invested in any noise that scares me. So I don't know. It just depends. Some are better with others, and some are. Max, you got to watch Exorcist on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that's, yeah. That's the only way to experience it. I I can't. Yeah, I'm a big boy now. I can do it. <laughs> yeah, you can you can handle it. it it's yeah. a great, great, great time. Yeah. 
All right, well, Max, I have a feeling that this will uh, not tonally, stylistically, or in any way be like The Exorcist. This is your stand pick of the week. What is it? <laughs> well, oddly enough, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. No, the stand pick of the week is 1954's Executive Suite, directed by Robert Wise. It's currently on the TCM channel, but those don't last long. So I would check it out now if you do. They're usually on about like a week or two on the channel. So, but anyway, when the head of a large manufacturing firm dies suddenly from a stroke, his vice presidents vie to see who will replace him. And uh, pretty solid cast. It's got William Holden, um, Walter Pigeon, Shelley Winters, uh, the always wonderful Barbara Stanwyck. And yeah, this is a fun little corporate drama. I don't know why those are entertaining, but they are. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, so that's that is the stand pick is Executive Suite. I'm going to make a little um, list on Letterboxd of all Max's stand picks. So if you need to go back and find them all, they'll be available for you. So I'll do that. This oh, week. nice. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, that's yeah. excellent. I'll do the same for the uh, week of the week and the um, and my dream picks. But uh, kind of wish the week of the week could have some kind of weird, dire font. But I don't have that capability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Don't watch these. <laughs> All right, John, do you have your uh, dream stream ready? I sure do. It's um, maybe a little bit of an under the radar '80s film. From 1984, it's called Night of the Comet. Uh, the synopsis is, well, the tagline is, they came, they shopped, they saved the world. And uh, the trailer for this, by the way, is terrible. It's it's one of those where it's, there's a voiceover guy who I I'd enjoy those, but you would never think this was a good movie based on the trailer. Trailer is just, this is where the term trailer trash came from. The trailer is trash. Don't watch the trailer. But uh, the synopsis is two girls from the valley wake up to find a passing comet has eradicated their world and left behind a mysterious red dust and a pack of cannibal mutants. That's right. Cannibal mm. mutants. With the help of a friendly truck driver, the girls save the earth from a villainous think tank, in quotes, karate chop their way through flesh eating zombies and, of course, find time to go to the mall. This movie is very 80s. It's not as cheesy as it sounds. But it is a little cheesy. I mean, there's it's you know end of the world with zombies and stuff. But I think it's really fun. It's cool because you know almost everyone is has been eradicated by this comet. So it's like city landscapes in LA with almost no people around. Um, there's this red glow most of the time from the comet, and the character, the main characters, the main two girls are very entertaining on screen, and it's just a fun little 95 minute adventure 80s a little bit of horror in there and it's not I mean, people know of it but it's not like a super mainstream film so i think it'd be fun for people to check out Land of the comet 1984 all right well that brings us to uh my bleak of the week i've got a good one it's from the year 1979 the wonderful wonderful year <laughs> it, it is joe Diamato's Beyond the Darkness. And yes, this is an Italian film. <laughs> and um, 
and Joe Diamato, you know, he specialized in this kind of uh, just grim, trashy, gross uh, horror movie uh, realm. He just thrived in it. He worked in pretty much every single genre, but he really had a knack for putting uh, grim and gross content on the screen. There is some uh, cannibalism, torture. There's uh, necrophilia. There's there's nothing fun in this movie. I do like the movie. I think it's pretty well done. I might even buy the Severn Blu-ray. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm, I get close, closer to buying it every Black Friday. Okay, so I would put this on a list with Baby Blood as being one of the movies that affected my appetite. Oh, boy. Mm. Yeah, I, so I watched this movie in the morning, you know, before I was, you know, going to go to work. And I went to make breakfast after the movie was over, and I... I just decided I wasn't going to make breakfast because I just couldn't handle eating anything. <laughs> and it it is streaming on Tubi. I would say don't eat anything before you watch it, while watching it, and wait three hours before you do eat something. <laughs> and I would have I would avoid soup <laughs> the day of the movie. No soup. I love the movie with uh, instructions. Yeah, I gotta, yeah, I gotta definitely test. I gotta, I gotta give it a shot. <laughs> Follow the guidelines. <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I am serious about the soup. I, I don't want you to eat any soup if you watch this movie, John. Oh, I trust you. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've ever had um, take me where I couldn't eat something, so I am alarmed. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the kind of thing I could see myself rewatching it and kind of wonder. Like, I could easily watch this and and it not have that effect on me. Of course, obviously, this would be a rewatch, but maybe I would be like, "Why did I ever think this was so gross?" But on a first time watch, it's it's a pretty tough movie. Okay, but I think you'll have a blast. I'm looking if you uh, if you decide to check it out. I'm gonna check it out. Up next is the trailer for next week's show. London. Good Friday. Not just any Good Friday, but the long Good Friday. Outside of church? You're not crucifying people outside of church, not on Good Friday. Harold Shand, undisputed king of London's underworld. Now he's setting up the biggest business deal of his career. Hands across the ocean, right? To the future. Someone is out to stop him. You think of anybody who might have an old score to settle or something? Who's big enough to take you on? Someone, somewhere, knows. Right? I want the man who knows. I've treated you lot well, even when you was out of order, right? Well, now there's been an eruption. One of my closest friends. He's lying out there in the freezer. And believe me, all of you, nobody goes home until I find out who done it. What should have been the greatest day of Harold's life 
suddenly becomes the longest. Suddenly, he's fighting for survival. You kidding? We got gang warnings, right? We already have. Colin's been carved up, and I've got a bomb in me casino. And you say nothing unusual. The long Good Friday, a terrifying nightmare from which there is no escape. The long Good Friday. And John, where can people find us on social media? Well, uh, on Instagram, you can find us at semi underscore cinematic. On Facebook, we're um, facebook.com slash semi cinematic pod. On Twitter, we're um, semi underscore cinematic. And on Letterboxd, we're semi cinematic one word. I'm also going to work on those uh, watch lists for all of our picks of the week. And maybe for the ones we reviewed as well, just so people can keep a little track of what we've been talking about and uh that's it thanks for listening and we'll talk talk again next week talk to you next week i won't eat soup during the bleak of the week and i'll try to watch it by the next episode and see what happens <laughs> <laughs> all right sounds good <laughs> bye <laughs>